Welcome to the Movement is Life Health Disparities Podcast. We are pleased and honored to be joined today by Congressman Anthony Brown, who represents the 4th Congressional District in the great state of Maryland. Congressman, first let me just introduce myself. I'm Mary O'Connor. I chair a multi-stakeholder coalition called Movement is Life. We were founded 11 years ago, and I've been honored to lead the group, and our focus has been on eliminating musculoskeletal health disparities. And we see the need for movement, that's why we're called Movement is Life, to combat joint disease, which combats obesity, because when your knees hurt and hips hurt and you don't move, you gain weight, then you get arthritis and you get diabetes, hypertension, uh, heart disease, depression. You get to be the kind of patient who walks into my office, I'm an orthopedic surgeon, who is often female, an individual of color with horrible arthritis, disabled, and who is a very poor surgical candidate because they're obese, they have diabetes, heart disease. So we need to get upstream of this whole problem and address how we get populations healthier. So our mission is one of health equity. We can improve health equity if we improve patients' ability to move. Dr. O'Connor, it's great to be on with you. It's an important topic, important issues, set of issues I've been working on with uh, with my team, whether as Lieutenant Governor, now uh, as a member of the, of the House of Representatives. So uh, it's exciting to be on today to be able to talk to you about these issues. First, I think it would be interesting to our audience to cover a little bit of your background. So you grew up in Huntington, New York, and your father was a family physician. Did you ever think about following in your father's footsteps and pursuing a career in medicine? You know, I, I did for a for a hot minute, and I think one day uh, my father perhaps was having a bad day. So when I came home from school, having turned in, I'm, I was a grade schooler at the time. Uh, some human anatomy um, uh, collage that I put together. I said, "Hey, Dad, I, th- I think I want to be a doctor when I grow up." And my father, who really enjoyed his patients, he loved providing care in the in the communities and 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 uh, where we lived. Uh, I think he was just having a bad day. He said, "No, son, you don't want to be." And talk about you know making an impression on a kid. I was like, "Oh wow, I guess I don't want to be with that." Uh, but I did grow up in a home where my father, as a doctor, really believed in public service, giving back to others. That's what he did in his medical practice. Uh, and uh, so instead of medicine, I. I chose the law. Well, I will share that we know that health policy and the law is fundamentally and crucially important to health equity and how health is delivered in this country. So I'm going to give you an honorary physician degree today on our podcast. How about that? All righty. Okay. Sure. All right. Although you're only in your second term in Congress, you're certainly not new to politics or public service. Could you tell our audience a little bit about your military background, your service, uh, as well as your service as Lieutenant Governor of Maryland? Sure. Well, you know, my public service did begin when I raised my right hand uh, and accepted a commission as a second lieutenant in the United States Army. I I flew helicopters uh, with the 3rd Infantry Division in Germany in the in the mid 1980s. It was sort of the height of the Cold War. Uh, When I came off of active duty. 
um, and I went to law school. I stayed in the Army Reserves, and I ended up um, doing another 25 years in the Reserves for a total of 30 years uh, in uniform service, including a tour of duty in Iraq. Um, so, you know, military service is a special place in my heart. The men and women who serve in uniform, some of the most patriotic people who I've ever met. Um, and it was just really an honor. When I came off of active duty, as I mentioned, I went to law school. I practiced law. I was with a big law firm, but I, I tended to do more pro bono work uh, than anything else, helping the firm meet its pro bono goals and, uh, you know, um, representing uh, indigent clients in, 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 in low-level criminal proceedings, um, in, um, in class action lawsuits and things like that. Uh, and then, you know, I, I ran for lieutenant governor with Martin O'Malley and spent eight years as part of the O'Malley-Brown team where we did, I think, big things for Maryland in the areas of the environment, education, and I believe in, in the area of health care. Uh, we not only um, implemented um, at the state level uh, the uh, provisions of the Affordable Care Act, but I think we did a lot uh, to address health uh, disparities in Maryland. Well, first, thank you for your service. Um, most impressive, both in uniform and your service now as a public servant, uh, because, I mean, I, I, I do personally think uh, that service at that level is critically important and very honorable. So thank you. And I want to turn now to the issue of the pandemic and the impact uh, that that the coronavirus has had, particularly on people of color. And maybe one of the only positive things I can say about this horrible nightmare of a pandemic is that it has heightened everyone's awareness about social determinants of health and health inequity. Now, I know these are not new issues for you because you have a long history of being a champion for health equity and the innovative efforts that you've made to reduce health disparities. And I want to focus for a minute on your work when you were Lieutenant Governor of Maryland, when you began to establish health enterprise zones, which I think are fantastic, innovative, and could serve as a model for, for us across the nation on trying to improve health equity. So could you tell our audience a little bit about the Health Enterprise Zone program in Maryland and where you came up with this idea and how it works? Sure. You know, uh, when I was lieutenant governor, uh, Martin O'Malley asked me to focus on three broad areas. Uh, one was economic development. Uh, the other was higher education. Uh, and the other was healthcare. And as you uh, suggested earlier, uh, there's an intersection of, you know, all of these you know, policy areas um, and the, the, the impact or the influence on, on, on individual and public health. Um, but um, in my work in economic development, both as lieutenant governor and when I was in the General Assembly, uh, we often looked at how do, we, how do we stimulate or create activity in those communities where there are high rates of unemployment, um, there's high rates of poverty. Um, there are other factors like um, high rates of, of, of suicide and, and drug use, et cetera. And we believed in the economic development context that if we bring more jobs to those communities, uh, you tend to sort of improve the socioeconomic indicators. So, you know, often you'll hear about empowerment zones or economic empowerment zones, economic enterprise zones. 
So as I was focusing in the healthcare portfolio, um, you know, I started asking uh, public health officials and others who are much more experienced in this area, you know, do you think it makes sense uh, if we're going to address health disparities, um, if we perhaps incentivize uh, providers to deliver services in underserved communities, much like we incentivize employers to bring jobs to communities. Um, and because I knew enough that um, access to health insurance is just one part of the equation. You can have insurance, but if you don't have a provider in your neighborhood or your community uh, that's providing that primary care, and it doesn't have to be a physician, it could be a non-physician provider, uh, then typically you're going to see, you know, you know, greater disparities and in, 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 in a less healthier community. So we were implementing the Affordable Care Act. So then the question became, well, what do we do to make sure that there's actually access to care in these communities? Can we do something like an economic empowerment or economic enterprise zone? And, and the answer was, yes, we could and we should. So we did um, and uh, worked with the General Assembly, um, worked with um, um, community, and I should say our county health officers, uh, community uh, stakeholders uh, um, in, in the public health space. Uh, and we designed this program um, and it was implemented in Maryland for, I think, three or four years. Unfortunately, Governor Hogan discontinued the program, uh, but a study by Johns Hopkins revealed uh, that it met, it met its intended goals. It reduced hospital uh, admissions. Um, it um, it delivered more access to care. Uh, it reduced the cost uh, of care in that community, and it improved health outcomes. So uh, we were really excited about the program, uh, and I'm glad to see that there are some members of the General Assembly who, as you mentioned during this pandemic, have a heightened awareness of health disparities, are looking at ways to extend that program or reintroduce it in Maryland. Well, that indeed is um, encouraging. I'm discouraged that the program was discontinued, but encouraged that now it's being considered uh, to be reopened. You know, in my opinion, we just have to start finding innovative ways of addressing these issues. Do you have a favorite success story or story about the program that you want to share with our audience? The, so these enterprise zones, um, you know, when we created them, you know, we sat down with, um, with providers. Uh, we sat down with um, community health uh, organizations and, and, and stakeholders and public health officials. And we said, what, what should the program look like? And, you know, what would attract a provider uh, into a community that they otherwise would not serve? And, and that's why we came up with, you know, different sort of a menu of, of items that a provider could choose from. Some were outright grants to either uh, install new equipment, uh, uh, improve your, um, your facility. Um, some of it included uh, employee tax credits, um, also work opportunity tax credits for the employers themselves, student loan repayments for both um, physician and non-physician providers, and also a 10% um, uh, uh, bonus, if you will, in, in Medicare reimbursement, uh, or actually it was Medicaid reimbursement because we, we, we manage that at the state level. Um, and um, so that, so we designed it in collaboration. And in terms of the success story, 
I don't know if it's sort of like an individualized or particularized um, uh, success story, but what struck me the most and what I was so excited about is none of the five zones that we created uh, looked the same. They were all kind of tailored and adapted to the needs of that community. In Annapolis, for example, um, they decided that they were going to focus a lot on on, on a, a group of apartments uh, that served an elderly population at higher incidences of hypertension uh, and other coronary diseases, uh, diabetes. Uh, there were many, many ambulance runs back and forth to that apartment building on any given day or week. Um, so they focused there uh, and, and we saw dramatic improvements. Uh, we had another one in Prince George's County where it was determined that what really was one obstacle, uh, not only the lack of a provider um, um, uh, um, uh, within this particular zip code, 20743, but the transportation network um, didn't really support um, uh, one of the areas that was believed to be optimal uh, for a health provider to locate. So not only did, did we uh, support that health provider with the various incentives I mentioned, but we worked with our local transportation department uh, to get a bus stop there. And, and it just made all the difference as more and more uh, people um, were able to access care. So, so not necessarily an individualized um, um, success story, but just the, the, the sort of like the beautiful way in which this program was tailored to meet the needs of the communities. So we've tested it now, right? We had five zones. They all had great results uh, validated by a study done by Hopkins. Uh, and we're ready at the federal level uh, to no longer pilot it but to really just incorporate it nationally. Let's put some resources in there. For $15 million in Maryland, the study came back and said we saved close to $110 million in reduced hospital admissions. That's a lot of savings that can go back into good quality care in underserved communities. It worked in Maryland. It can work anywhere around the country. That's why I've introduced it uh, in Congress. Yes. I, I want the audience to appreciate and understand that you have now introduced a bill in Congress that will take this health enterprise zone concept to the national level. And so can you tell us a little more about where the bill is in terms of, of the process and the stages of of, an, of getting gaining support. I'll share one experience. It's a lot more cumbersome uh, uh, in uh, on Capitol Hill than it is in the halls of uh, of, uh, of Annapolis. Things take a lot longer uh, to get uh, across the finish line. I introduced the bill. Uh, I have um, support from, from many members of the Congressional Black Caucus. Uh, Robin Kelly out of Illinois, a uh, big champion for a health equity uh, as a member of the Congressional Black Caucus uh, and a member of Congress. I've got Steny Hoyer, the majority leader, who rarely um, co-sponsors bills uh, because of the leadership position he's in. And you could imagine everybody wants uh, Mr. Hoyer to co-sponsor their bill. Uh, so he tends not to co-sponsor many bills. But he made an exception here. So he's one of the co-sponsors. So we filed the bill. 
Um, and it, it's been referred to a number of committees because there's tax pieces to it. So that'll be ways and means. Energy and commerce gets a lot of the healthcare issues. Uh, there are a lot of important priorities that are being pursued right now, and it's hard to get the attention, particularly of my Republican colleagues who seem to be slowing things down, uh, um, particularly in the Senate, uh, to focus on important issues, right? We're wrestling with trying to make progress on pandemic relief, um, and I'd like to get that done. Uh, but I'd also like to get my health disparities, my health, health enterprise zone bill done. The truth of the matter is, it's more likely to happen in the 117th Congress. I will reintroduce it, um, and we'll have a. a Dem I'm very confident we'll have Democrats um, who lead the House. Uh, it's my hope that uh, the same can be said in the Senate. And I think under a Biden administration, where um, you know Vice President Biden has laid out a blueprint uh, for Black America, where he 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 looks at health disparities. He understands we've got to make structural changes if we're going to make real progress, lasting progress. I'm confident that a Biden administration uh, would pr would very much embrace this concept, and we could get it across that finish line. Well, I I will state this in a totally bipartisan or nonpartisan way. This is such a critical issue that it needs to happen regardless of who has the House majority or the Senate majority or who sits in the Oval Office. One of the things that I hope that we as, as citizens nationally have, have started to understand is that we are all connected. You know, we cannot isolate ourselves from other people, from communities. And so if we don't start to recognize that it matters to us and our families, even if we're living in a more affluent area of, of, of the community, you know, more affluent section of town, lower income areas where coronavirus is having a greater impact is still going to affect us. If a community is sick, everyone in that community is at risk. I'm hopeful that regardless of the outcome of the election, people are awakening to the need for us to address these disparities. It's really yeah. nonpartisan. No, you're absolutely right, because um, health disparities um, are not just uh, along racial and ethnic lines. There's a geographic component uh, to health disparities. And that's why one of our zones was actually in rural Maryland, uh, in Dorchester County. Uh, and we know that communities um, that are predominantly uh, white, uh, that have higher incidences of chronic disease and uh, uh, because of uh, a lack of health um, uh, services or uh, for other um, social determinants of health outcomes. So um, this is not a partisan issue. It's not even a really a racial or ethnic issue. Uh, it's just a it's just an issue. There are disparities uh, that exist. Um, often along racial and ethnic lines, often along geographic lines. And the bottom line is, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, you should want to ensure that every American has access to quality, affordable care, has an opportunity to live a healthy and meaningful life, which means a more productive life, both at home and in the workplace. Uh, so it is my hope, and I know that I did um, earlier say that we're, you know, being a little stonewalled by uh, Republicans uh, in the Senate, but that's more of a generic comment that nothing's moving in the Senate. The Senate uh, is controlled by Republicans. But I do think that Republicans and, and um, Democrats can get together and should get together uh, on this program. Amen. Not only should they, I look, I mean, I'm a voter and I feel that it is everyone's responsibility to do this. It is so clear to me 
with the horrible deaths that we've seen in the pandemic, that we simply have to get serious about addressing health equity. And you're absolutely correct, Congressman. This isn't about race or ethnicity, although we know there's differential impacts depending on the community. We see these disparities in white people in rural America as well. That's right. Absolutely. Could not agree more. Those were fabulous comments. I know that we're getting a little uh, close to our time, and I want to be respectful of your time. We're so appreciative of your generosity. Let me close with asking about other ideas that you might have for us to better address health disparities or promote health equity in the country. Sure. You know, and as we both mentioned earlier on, there's this intersectionality between different policy areas. So um, I think about a a city like Baltimore. Uh, I had the privilege to work for them as lieutenant governor. Baltimore is no longer in my district. It's one of the least connected um, um, uh, metropolitan areas in the country. Uh, And as our health enterprise zone demonstrated uh, in Prince George's County, that a lack of transportation often contributes uh, to, you know, a lack of access to health care and poor health outcomes. So when we talk about um, HR2, which is moving America forward, that's our big infrastructure investment bill uh, in the House of Representatives. That's important. People don't think necessarily about transportation infrastructure as, as, as helping address health outcomes. But we can, when we can connect cities like Baltimore, when we can connect um, um, uh, folks in rural uh, America uh, to services and resources, you're going to improve a health outcome. So um, um, uh, passing or or making those infrastructure investments um, has to be uh, a a priority. So that's just one other example of the kinds of things that we can do. Uh, We are on the floor today uh, in the House of Representatives voting on the Strength and Diversity Act, dealing with diversity and inclusion uh, in, uh, in education. Um, and, 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 and the way the program is designed, it will also support uh, um, food security in our schools. You can't possibly teach a child um, to learn uh, if, if they're having difficulty listening to, to their teacher because they're listening to their stomach, because their stomach is talking to them because it's empty. So there are things that we can do to address food insecurity, both in our schools and in the community, and that has an impact on health outcomes as well. Uh, So uh, when we think about addressing health uh, disparities, it's not just in the more narrow um, sort of laws that we pass that deal with health programs and health institutions and and health uh, workers. Uh, but it's transportation. It is education. It's policies that impact the environment that have an impact on the health outcome in our communities. So we've got to take a holistic approach to addressing health disparities. We agree completely. You know, around what we call our vicious cycle, where of joint pain leading to immobility and obesity, and then and the development of hypertension, diabetes, heart disease, depression, and a very sick patient, which can happen to anyone. You could be a, an affluent CEO, male CEO, but, but we know people that are more likely to get trapped in this cycle are women and individuals of color and those of lower socioeconomic means because around that vicious cycle are these social determinants of health that you've just spoken about. And around them come policy, right? And so your efforts to address policy 
to impact and improve social determinants is absolutely going to improve health equity. I want to thank you for all of your efforts, for your courage and determination to address these critical issues uh, for our communities and our nation. Well, Dr. O'Connor, thank you very much for having me on and to be able to participate in this conversation. Very important issue. Uh, and uh, I'm glad that you're, the, that you're doing the work that you're doing in this space. Thank you. My pleasure. And we, we look forward uh, to supporting your health enterprise zone legislation. Outstanding. Okay, right. thanks. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye.